Thank you for singing with us as we worship our great God together. Ruthie, welcome home. Good to have you back with us this morning. As you know, Ruthie's mom passed away, uh, and much of the last several months of Ruthie's life was spent uh, caring for her mom with great uh, enthusiasm, and she loved doing that. She wanted to do that. It was her choice, um, and so she took all the necessary precautions as she cared for her mom, but now she's able to join us again and worship together, so we're thankful to have you back and know that we're praying for you as well as you work through these uh, grieving days. Uh, But, you know, Ruthie grieves as one who has hope because she knows she'll see her mom again in glory. Uh, What a great testimony her mom had, and we're thankful for that testimony that she leaves behind to her children uh, as they live out uh, their lives for Christ as well. All right, well, we're going to continue a study that we started last Sunday, the study in in the book of Philippians, Kind of the underlying theme of the book of Philippians is about joy. Uh, You see on the screen it says, our joy is based in our salvation. Now, as a child of God, if if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, there is no reason for you not to have joy. Okay, That doesn't mean that you're always going to be happy. Because the Bible never says that joy equals happiness or that we will always be happy. It does say, though, that we have the fulfillment of our joy. And joy is what we understand because we know that we will spend eternity in a place called heaven with our Savior, Jesus Christ, and with our great God, the the Father of our Savior, Jesus Christ. There is nothing in this life that can rob us of our joy unless we let it. Paul also reminds us the secret to our joy is to be content in whatever situation we find ourselves in. Uh, He says, I have learned that whatever state I am in to be content. Okay, That's not an easy lesson to learn. And sometimes God spends a lot of time trying to remind us of that. And we'll get into that eventually, but not quite this morning. You'll see the title on your note page and on the screen it says, A Passionate Servant Knows Great Joy. And the title of the message is that word passion. Um, I want to ask you this morning, what comes to mind when you think about passion? What is it that just kind of jumps into your mind? Love, okay. You're all in, okay? Okay, a driving force. It's what moves you, Steve. Zeal, okay? Any other ideas of what passion is? Ezra? Ezra's smile is always passionate. All right, those are some good ideas about passion. Let me uh, give you some definitions, though. Passion can be defined as any powerful or compelling emotion or feeling, such as love or hate. That's the first definition I found in my dictionary. The second definition is a, any strongly... Um, 
Any strongly felt emotions such as love, envy, hate, hate, or etc. So one talks about just it being an emotion. Mostly we think of it positive. But in the second definition, it includes the idea of something that is hateful or envious. So uh, like Cindy said, it's what drives you. You know, sometimes our, what drives us is positive, And sometimes what drives us is not always positive. It can be negative. Here's one thing that I think fits our context this morning. Passion, a passionate servant knows great joy. That means ardent affection or a strong liking or a desire for a devotion to some kind of activity, object, or concept. Now, here's the thing about passion. As we look at our world today, we see passion all around us, don't we? We see passion in sports. As a Yankee fan, I often go on the Yes Network's page website uh, and I read the comments that other Yankee fans are making about the Yankees. Last week, most comments were calling for the firing of Aaron Boone, the manager of the Yankees. Terrible start, several games below 500, still haven't reached back to 500 yet, but just not a good start to the season. And I was among the ones who were joining in and saying, we could do better with a different manager. You know, uh, in fact, I've told some of you, Aaron Boone's everybody's friend. He's got to be everybody's buddy. Never gets in somebody's face and says, hey, get your act together. We're paying you millions and millions of dollars to go out there and play a game. Start playing it, will you? He doesn't do that. He just kind of like even keel, just goes along with the ebb and flow, always making excuses when the players don't play up to their potential. Lots of passionate comments about how the Yankees need something different to fire them up, to get them going. You can also be passionate about lots of other things in this world. We see passion in politics, regardless of what you think about President Trump. President Trump was passionate about America, passionate about doing what was best for the American people. Um, There's plenty of people that are passionate in our world today about the BLM, Black Lives Matter movement. There's people that are passionate about racial justice or what they might call injustice. Then there's the issue of immigration, the southern border, and the problems that are going on there. There's the economy. There are people that are passionate about that. There's people that are passionate, and rightly so, about the right to life and the fact that life begins at conception, and there is no excuse for taking that life for any reason at all whatsoever. And the list could go on. The things that we are passionate about. You see, passion can be rightly placed, or it can be misplaced. What I'm saying is that we can be passionate about the right things or we can be passionate about the wrong things. And as believers, our passion must be rooted in those things that are affirmed in the word of God rather than just our feelings or our opinions. It's not, there's nothing wrong with having your opinions. My opinion is the Yankees are the best team in baseball. And many of you will say, take a look at the records, pastor. You'll see they're not the best team right now. I have to give you that. Okay, but that doesn't stop me about being passionate about them. I turned the games on. In fact, um, we switched we switched providers so we could watch, so I could get the Yankee games. You know, it's frustrating. I used to love it when WPIX would carry the baseball games, but now I hate it because our provider doesn't carry WPIX. 
And so I called him up the other day and said, hey, listen, I changed to you guys as my provider because I wanted to watch the Yankee games. How come I can't watch all the Yankee games? Well, we're very sorry, but we don't carry the WPIX in our lineup of channels. Woe is me. So now I have to figure out a different way if I'm going to watch those particular games. Uh, but you see, we're passionate about things. And, and sometimes our passion can be misplaced. Um, but along the way, let's see what we can learn from Paul this morning as we take a look at this passage of Scripture in Philippians chapter 1. We're going to start with verse 12. Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 26 should be on the screen, I think, if I, if I did that right, Ryan. Uh, so let's stand together as we read from the screen Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. Philippians chapter 1, 12 through 26. But I want you to know, brethren, the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ, even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of the faith. And that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Now, this is a long passage of scripture that we're going to tackle this morning. Um, But what we see in this passage of scripture is really Paul's passion. It's what Paul is longing for. So let's ask God to bless our time in his word together. And then we will get into our uh, time in the word. You may be seated after we pray. So let's stay standing as we pray, and then you may be seated. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you today, and we thank you so much for your word. 
This morning, as we've read through this passage of Scripture, we see something in Paul's life that cannot be doubted. It is very true. Paul was a passionate person. In fact, his passion is clearly seen in this passage of Scripture. His passion is that the gospel of Christ be preached and lives be changed. And so, Father, as we uh, open this passage of Scripture up this morning for further study, we ask that your Holy Spirit would teach us and guide us and help us to understand what you are communicating to your children today through the words of of the Word of God that we have in our hands. Thank you so much for loving us and caring for us and sharing with us this morning from the heart of the Apostle Paul. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may go ahead and take your seat. So as we look at this passage of scripture this morning, what do we see? Well, first of all, we see that circumstances should not paralyze our passion. Now, if we were to go around the room this morning, we would, we would be able to understand and hear that everybody sitting here today is in different circumstances. Your circumstances are different from mine, and mine are different from yours, and we could go, everyone could tell us what their circumstances are in life, and, and some of them might not be very pleasant right now at the moment. But all of us are in different circumstances. And Paul is pretty sure, pretty clear here, that the circumstances that we face in life, whatever they may be, positive or negative, they should not paralyze our passion. Now, what what happens? How does that how do how do our circumstances paralyze our passion? Well, sometimes in our walk with the Lord, we get our eyes off of Christ. We get our eyes off of Jesus and we get them on our circumstances. And, and here's the truth, whether the circumstances are good or bad, if we're focusing on the circumstances, then we're not going to be focusing on Christ. And we're, we're, we're going to lose that passion for serving Christ. We got to make sure that our focus is always on our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And how do we do that? Well, we focus on the word. We focus on what God says about himself in his word. And that's why we spent so many weeks, months even, studying the attributes of God. Because we wanted our focus to be on our great God. And our goal is to become more like our great God, more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. And Paul sets a great example for us by keeping his focus where it needs to be. And he even talks about his, his circumstances in his life. Paul's persecution did not dissuade him from his passion in Christ. What do we know about the Apostle Paul? What do we know about his circumstances as he ministered to the Philippian believers? In fact, you can actually start off by asking yourself, where is Paul writing this letter from? He's writing this letter from prison, okay? Now, can I tell you this? Prison in those days is not quite like what prison is today, okay? Prison's a lot different. Now, Paul was not necessarily in the jail itself, but he was under house arrest. Now, you know what that meant? That meant that most, if not all the time, Paul was chained to a Roman guard. So wherever Paul went, the Roman guard went with him. Little, if any, exception. Anything Paul said... The Roman guard heard. Any visitors that Paul had, the Roman guard was there listening in to the conversation and was, I mean, Paul lived and breathed beside the Roman guard. But before he went to prison, you know what happened to Paul? He was beaten, severely beaten. 
He was mocked. <laughs> Who is this guy anyway, this Paul? Who does he think he is? You can read in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 22 through 27, that passage of scripture gives us a summary of Paul's, Paul's persecution. He was beaten and left for dead. He was left in the sea to drown. And he was just, he was not at all appreciated by those who were not Christians. And they did everything they could to make his life miserable. Paul was imprisoned on more than one occasion. He was beaten and left for dead several times. But you know what? Paul remained passionate about serving Jesus Christ. All of those bad things that happened to Paul only encouraged him to serve the Lord even more. So when you guys mock me about my Yankees, I'm only going to cheer for them all the harder. Same. No, I won't even talk about football this morning. But anyway... You see, no matter what happens in life, our passion needs to be rooted in who God is and what God is like, and even to some degree what God has done for us. And remember these words. Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. No matter what you're going through, Jesus is walking through it with you. So don't let the circumstances of your life paralyze your passion. Paul's persecution did not persuade him. In fact, that persecution and the life that Paul lived gave him a persuasive testimony. We need to understand this as we walk in these days. And these days might get worse and worse as a Christian. Things might not be what we are accustomed to for Christians. We might not be able to enjoy the ease of the Christian life in our country as we have up until this point. But remember this, persuasive testimony can come from contrary circumstances. What did Paul say here in this passage that we just read? He said, the whole palace guard and all the rest are aware that my chains are for the cause of Christ. You see, Paul's current status of being in prison, chained to a Roman guard all the time, was a powerful testimony. He says, the whole palace guard. That means that everybody that was a Roman guard that worked in the palace heard Paul's testimony. And it says here that they knew that he was in prison for one reason, Not for breaking the law per se, but because he was a passionate servant for Jesus Christ. Paul was in prison because of his testimony for Jesus Christ. Because of his commitment to serve Jesus Christ no matter what. Paul knew his calling. His calling came from God. It's clearly articulated, and he knew his calling may in fact cause him to suffer great harm. In fact, Jesus told him that when he called him on the road to Damascus. You know, it's not unlike a lot of the prophets. God told the prophets, hey, you know what? When you preach my message to these people, they're not going to listen. Uh-oh. And you know what? They're not going to like it when, they, when you preach to them. And you know what? They might take it out on you when you preach to them. But you know what you know can be said about the prophets and be said about the Apostle Paul? What he said came from God. And he was not going to waver on that. 
So Paul had a persuasive testimony in spite of the contrary circumstances. And here's the last thing uh, as far as our, uh, the fact that circumstances should not paralyze our passion. These circumstances that you and I find ourselves in, they should not rob our passionate service, which results in joy. Should not rob our passionate service. You see, when you and I are serving God and we're serving him passionately, you know what it produces in us? It produces a joy that cannot be taken away from us. You know what? Joy is a gift from the Spirit of God to every believer. You realize that? Joy is a gift. How do we know that? Well, if you go to Galatians, you don't have to. We had a, we had a little bit of a lesson on this from our kids on Sunday night. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. Should I ask the kids to quote that? Any of our kids, can you quote it? What does Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 say? All right, nicely done, Chloe. But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. Joy. Joy. It's right there in the fruit of the Spirit. You see, you and I have been given a gift from God, and joy is something that should be part of our lives. Joy, John, though, reminds us that this joy is not always constant, and it's not always full. He writes in 1 John chapter 1, verse 4, he says, I write to you that your joy might be full, that your joy might be complete. You see, if there can be times in your life and in my life when my joy or your joy is not full. What causes our joy to be lacking? What causes our joy to be incomplete? Well, that's when there is sin in our life. You see, sin ruins our fellowship with the Lord. And that fellowship with the Lord is the source of our joy. Sinful attitudes like dissatisfaction and bitterness and sullenness and doubt and negativity, they cause our joy to be forfeited. Therefore, the only way to restore the lost joy that you and I have is to repent and to turn to worshiping our great God. Proper worship of our great God results from our obedience to him and it restores that joy that you and I should have as we walk with the Lord. You see, don't let the circumstances in life paralyze your joy. As we move on to verses to verse 14, we see proper passion provokes others to bold service for God. When you and I have a right passion, a passion that is rooted in the word of God and in the character of God. Our passion provokes others to be bold in their service for God. Paul set an example of faithful service to the Lord. And you know what that resulted in? You think, well, Paul served the Lord faithfully. He should, he should be happy and he should get a pat on the back and, and everybody should be pleased with him, right? Well, Paul's faithful service to the Lord landed him in prison. But that prison stint didn't stop him. He remained faithful. Why did Paul end up in prison? He was in prison because he was a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, Paul, like us, are called to communicate the gospel. And communicating the gospel may not always be easy. Have you ever been a communicator of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and been ridiculed because of it? mocked because of it, laughed at because of it. 
It's not always easy. But just because it's not easy doesn't mean that we shouldn't do it. Even if the law tells us that we can't do it, guess what? We should still do it. We should continue to be communicators of the good news of Jesus Christ. And I'm thankful to, at least at this point, we haven't been told that we have to stop communicating the gospel of Jesus Christ. They haven't told us that we have to stop preaching the word of God. But if they do, and when they do, we still do it. We keep doing what God has called us to do, to be communicators of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be preachers of the word of God, in season and out of season, whether it's popular or whether it's not possible. We never stop preaching or teaching the word of God. We remain faithful to that calling in our lives. We also want to understand that Paul encouraged others by his example You see, as a result of Paul's boldness, even in the face of beatings and mockings and imprisonment and other forms of persecutions, others were encouraged to be bolder in their service for the Lord, to proclaim the gospel no matter what. When you and I remain faithful, others will see that faithfulness and will be called and reminded to the same kind of faithfulness that we are exhibiting as we remain constant in our walk with the Lord. A good example, when you and I exhibit a good example to others, it can help others be more effective in their service. What is, what is your goal as a Christian? What is my goal as a Christian? Is to be effective in our service for the Lord. We want to be effective ministers. We want to be effective communicators of what God has called us to in our lives. You and I, when we're passionate about serving our great God, guess what? That passion is contagious and others will want to be more effective in their service for the Lord as well. You want to be contagious as a Christian. You all know, this won't be any surprise to you, that I love sports, right? I've had the opportunity to go to lots of different sporting events. I've been to rugby games at Newland Stadium in South Africa. I've been to professional cricket matches uh, at at a different Newland Stadium in South Africa. I've been to Yankee Stadium. I've been to, uh, what's it called, Progressive Field now in Cleveland. Uh, I've been to some minor league games. And you know what most of those games have in common? Even, it doesn't matter the stadium you're in. You know what they try to do almost at every game? They call it the Mexican wave. You ever been part of the Mexican wave? Or a Mexican wave? What is the Mexican wave? Well, it's when you're sitting in the stands, and then across the other side of the stadium, you see people start standing up, and they throw their hands up in the air, and they sit back down, and it goes from one section of the stadium all the way around the stadium. And everybody, and well, most everybody in every section, as the timing gets to them, they stand up, they throw their hands up in the air, and they sit back down. And it'll go around the stadium two, three times until it kind of peters out. Can I tell you this, if I'm at a professional game, or if I'm at any sporting event, I'm not going to be the guy who sits in the stand all by myself, stands up, throws my hands up in the air, and sits back down. I'm not going to do it. But you know what? When everybody else in the stadium is doing it, I'm right there. I'm going to stand up, I'm going to throw my hands up in the air, I'm going to sit back down, and I'm going to do it as many times as it goes around the stadium. Why? 
Because the, the, the enthusiasm of being at the game, the, the excitement of cheering for your team, the, the, just the thrill of being there is contagious. And you're doing it because that's what everybody else is doing. You know what? If it happens in the church, everybody's going to do it. If you're excited about serving the Lord wherever God has called you to serve him here at Calvary Baptist Church and you're serving him wholeheartedly and you're giving it everything you got, somebody's going to see that and they're going to say, hey, I want to do that too. And then somebody else is going to see it and somebody else is going to see it. And before long, you know what? Everybody's serving God. It's contagious. They're excited about it. Hey, what can I do to serve God? I want to be part of what's going on here in the ministry. I want to be faithful. I want to be a servant of the Most High God. Compassion is contagious. Paul said it himself. Everybody in the whole palace guard knows that I love God and knows that I want to serve God and knows what I'm doing that God has called me to do. So our passionate service provokes others to be bold in their service for God as well. Here's another thing as we work our way through the text this morning. We see the passionate service promotes Christ being magnified. Verses 15 through 20, we're not going to read it again because we've got a couple more things that we want to cover this morning. But listen to this, passionate service promotes Christ being magnified. What am I supposed to do as a child of God? What is my number one priority as a follower of Jesus Christ? Share the gospel. And when I do that, what happens? Christ is magnified. Christ is glorified. The preaching of Christ is always worth rejoicing over. The preaching of Christ is always worth rejoicing over. It doesn't matter who's doing it. If it's the most popular or the least popular person, the preaching of Christ is always something that you and I, as followers of Christ, should rejoice over. Now, here's what was going on in Paul's life. Some were preaching to make Paul's life even more miserable. (laughs) I'm going to tell others about the gospel. I'm going to tell others about this guy named Jesus Christ. And in my doing that, I hope that Paul's life gets more miserable. I hope that Paul gets blamed for it, and I hope that Paul gets another beating, or Paul gets a little bit more time extended to his sentence. I want Paul's life to be as bad as it can get, and so I'm going to preach, and I'm even going to preach maybe because Paul said so. You know what Paul said? Praise the Lord! Keep on preaching! Paul wanted the gospel to go forth. He said others were preaching Christ for the right reasons, to communicate the power of God for salvation, to to preach about deliverance from sin and hope and guidance. And you know what Paul said? Praise the Lord! Keep on preaching! Don't stop preaching! Paul's joy was not tied to his circumstances or his critics. Paul preached no matter what. John MacArthur makes this observation. He said, he was glad when the gospel was proclaimed with authority, no matter who received the credit. He endured the unjust accusations about bitterness at his accusers. Rather, he rejoiced that they preached Christ, even in a pretense of godliness. No matter what, when the truth of Jesus Christ goes forth, God will use it. 
The Bible says God's word will not return void, but it will accomplish what he sends it out to accomplish. So no matter what, no matter who, whether for the right reasons or the wrong reasons, the preaching of Christ is always something that you and I should rejoice over. You see, when Christ is preached, Christ is magnified. Because preaching, the proclaiming of the gospel, reveals the power of God. What did Paul say in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17? For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, because it is the power of God unto salvation. It's the only thing that brings salvation. It brings it to the Jews, and it brings it to the Gentiles. So what should my focus be? What should your focus be? Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. We also see in verses 15 through 20 that perspective promotes faithful service. Our perspective helps promote faithful service to our great God. It was Paul's goal in life to be a faithful servant to his Lord and to serve him with passion. Paul tells us that the prayers of others for him was important to him. Pray for one another. Paul says, you need to pray for me as I communicate the gospel. And Paul says, I pray for you. So praying for others is important, not just for our physical well-being, not just for a new job, not just for the physical material things in this life, but prayer for us to be effective communicators of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't know what circumstance God brings your way to open a door for you to preach the gospel. You don't know what's going on in another person's life who comes to you and says, hey, will you pray for me? And that gives you the opportunity to present the gospel. You and I are gospel presenters, and that's one of our primary responsibilities as a child of God, to communicate the good news. Prayers of others for Paul was important to him. It should be important to you and I as well. And Paul's confidence was based on the working of the Holy Spirit, not on his own wisdom, not in himself. I mean, we have to say Paul was a, was a godly man. You know what? I think Paul knew the scriptures. Would you agree with that? I mean, he sat under the, one of the greatest teachers of the day, and that teacher Gamaliel taught him the Old Testament scriptures. Paul was well grounded in those Old Testament scriptures. <laughs> and then, hey, he wrote most of the New Testament. So I think it's safe to say that Paul was pretty well versed in the scriptures. But you know what? He didn't take his comfort, his, his hope in what he knew. He relied on the work of the Holy Spirit in and through him. We also see that his passionate service for Christ meant he had nothing to be ashamed about. Whether he was free or whether he was in prison, Paul was not ashamed. He says so. I mean, I already quoted Romans chapter 1. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Serving God did not bring shame to Paul's life. He didn't didn't say, hey, you know what? I want to share the gospel with you. He said, hey, I've got some good news, and I want to share it with you. I want to tell you about my Savior, Jesus Christ. He was loud about it, and he was boisterous about it, and he wasn't ashamed. He was a communicator about the the truth of the gospel message. And the same should be true of you and I. If we are busy serving the Lord and living in a way that brings glory and honor to him, others 
may not be impressed or pleased, but as long as God is pleased, the rest doesn't really matter. What matters is that I am honoring God with my lifestyle and with what I do. Well, another thing that helps us remember the fact that we, we can be passionate and passionate service promotes Christ being magnified is that Paul's future was promising. Now, remember, Paul's in prison, right? Paul doesn't know what tomorrow holds in store for him. He could be sentenced to death tomorrow. But you know what? Paul says, I can trust God, whether by life or by death. I want my life to glorify God, whether by life or by death. Paul was uncertain about what his future would be, but he was not in despair. We too may not know what tomorrow holds for us. We may wonder what the future holds for us, but our confidence should be in the same promise that Paul had. Not in the philosophy of our government. Not in anything else but in who Jesus Christ is. When Paul said that I, my future is promising whether by life or by death, what did he mean? This is what I think Paul had in mind. By life, that means release from prison and freedom to continue serving the Lord. Paul did not even think about stopping his serving the Lord. He didn't think, oh boy, if I can just get out of prison, then I won't have to tell anybody about Jesus anymore. I'll just stop doing that. That thought didn't cross his mind because he knew his calling. By life, whether he was released from prison uh, and he had the opportunity to continue serving the Lord or by death. What did that mean? Well, that meant that if Paul was put to death by the government officials, whether he was martyred for the cause of Christ, that's okay. I can live, well, I suppose you can't, but uh, if, if I get put to death, that's okay. Because you know what? The other side's even better. Glory is even better. Sometimes I, I ask people, um, how you doing? And they say, living. I'm, I'm, I'm living. And I say, well, that beats the alternative, right? I've, I've kind of checked myself in that now. Because it doesn't really beat the alternative. It might from a human perspective, uh, if you're not saved, but if I die, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Yeah, it's better for me if I die. Paul's desire either way was that he would lift up the name of Christ, that Christ would be exalted, that Christ would be magnified. The Nelson Study Bible says, There was no difference between life and death as far as Paul was concerned. As long as that life or death magnified, glorified, and exalted Christ before others. So Paul's future was promising. I want you to know this, that our purpose in life should be the same. To faithfully serve the Lord and to magnify his name no matter what comes our way. Famous Christian author wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Life. What's our purpose in life? Probably not quite the same as that author's. But our purpose in life should be to magnify, glorify, exalt the name of Jesus Christ no matter what. We want Christ to be glorified. Well, 
as we close out this section of scripture this morning, we see that passion makes serving others a priority over our personal desire. Passion makes serving others a priority over our personal desire. Paul was determined to be content in his life. He was determined to be content. That's what his life was all about. He wanted to be content. We've already referred to the phrase, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This was the underlying mindset for Paul and should be for any child of God. Paul was content whether he lived or whether he died. He was completely content to allow the Lord's will to be done. Well, how did that take place in Paul's life? Well, Paul had the proper mindset. First of all, he said, for me to live is Christ. For, for to me to live is Christ. The first part of that phrase, for me to whatever, for to me this, or to me that, was a common expression in those days. It's kind of like saying, as far as I'm concerned, Christ was the essence of Paul's life. Christ was what Paul lived for. Paul was not perfect, believe me. He was not perfect, and believe me when I say to you, I am not perfect. And you can say the same back to me. And we're not revealing any secrets here. None of us are perfect because we all still fight against that sin nature. But Paul says, as far as I'm concerned, I want you to know for me to live is Christ. Well, how do I do that, Paul? Uh, That's what I want to do, but how do I do that? Well, we're going to take a little bit of a journey through Philippians and then a couple of other passages of Scripture. We're going to do this quickly, so I'm not going to let other people read. I'm just going to read them quickly. How do I live for Christ? Philippians chapter 4, verse 13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see, you and I, we must gain our strength through Jesus Christ, not ourselves. When we gain our strength through Jesus Christ, our strength is channeled in the right things. When we gain our strength through ourselves, not so much. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, Paul says, and just a synopsis of that, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Let this mind be in you. What was, what's the mindset? Well, he says, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and given him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul had the mind of Christ. You and I need to strive to have the mind of Christ. What's the mind of Christ? Humility. Humility. I mean, we're talking about the Son of God. The creator of the universe. And yet, what is his mind? It's the mind of humility. Micah mentioned uh, the guy named Chad Williams. I, I really enjoyed listening to his, his message on divine sabotage. If you want to wreck Satan's plan, 
you can be part of this divine sabotage. And he, and he talked about Naaman. You know what Naaman's problem was? Naaman had a pride problem. He went to the prophet and he said to the prophet, I have leprosy. What do I, what do I have to do to be cured? And the prophet told him, go dunk yourself seven times in the Jordan River. But you got to know the backstory. This man, Naaman, he was a great man in Syria. He was the, like, like the number one commander. He would get invited to the king's house. The king liked Naaman. The king sent millions of dollars with Naaman to buy his cure of leprosy. Naaman gets to Elijah's house and he doesn't even come out to greet him. He sends a couple of servants. And he says to Naaman, the servants say to Naaman, Naaman, go dunk yourself in the Jordan River seven times. And Naaman is ticked off. He leaves the prophet and he says, aren't there better rivers in Damascus? I mean, the Jordan River didn't have a good reputation. You've heard of the Hudson River in New York? The Jordan, Okay. Why do I want to go dunk myself in a dirty river? If all I have to do is dunk myself seven times in a river, I'm going to go to where they're cleaner and better, back to Damascus. I don't have to do what this guy says anyway. Who does he, he didn't even come out to greet me. What is his problem anyway? No, Naaman, what is your problem? In fact, some of Naaman's soldiers came up to him and they said, Master, What is going on? If he asked you to do some great thing, surely you would have done it. Without even thinking twice about it, you would have gone and you would have performed the task and and you would have been healed. All he's asking you to do is go dunk yourself in the Jordan River. Hmm. You got a point. So what does Naaman do? He humbles himself and he goes to the Jordan River and he dunks himself seven times in the river. And on the seventh time, he comes up and he has baby fresh skin. Not just all the old, not just the leprosy removed and his skin returned to whatever age he was, but baby fresh skin. You hold a baby, right? I mean, I love holding our grandchildren. I mean, the, the newborn babies, they just have this kind of this smell about them. And you, you snuggle into them, and you just hug them, and you love on them. And then you go back home, and guess what? For a little bit, you kind of smell like them. Not the spit-up part, but, you know. <laughs> that, that just that, that, maybe it's the baby powder, or whatever it is, but they, you have this smell. And you're like, <sighs> and their skin is so soft. Naaman got baby fresh skin. But what was required of Naaman? He had to humble himself. He had to get rid of the pride. You see, we can't be passionate servants and we can't have joy because pride and joy, they don't go together. But if we humble ourselves, if we have the mind of Christ, that passionate service will be real to us. You can't can't be like Naaman. You can't say it's my way or no way. You can't be like Naaman. You can't say, if I don't get it my way, I'm done. 
That's not right. Humility, the mind of Christ. We move on and we see in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, verse 8, Yet indeed I also count all things for loss, for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I might gain Christ. I must desire to know Christ more than anything else. That word dung, I mean, Paul had, Paul had quite a resume of accomplishments. He was in the Sanhedrin. He was taught by the teacher of Israel. He had, he had all kinds of credentials. He had, a, he had lifetime employment persecuting the church. He could go wherever he wanted. He could do whatever he wanted. And yet he says, I count it all as rubbish. You know what that word rubbish is? It's worse than garbage. It's dung. That's what the original word is. Count it all as dung. Absolutely useless. Has no meaning for it. Paul says, my desires, my own accomplishments is dung. But I want to understand things the way Christ would have me live my life. I want to gain Christ. That's the mind of Christ. Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, And being found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. You see, you and I, we must realize that we are only righteous because Christ's righteousness has been imputed to us, not because I am righteous in and of myself. I have no righteousness to bring. My righteousness is as filthy rags. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, and then down to verse, chapter 4, verse 4, Paul says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. That's verse 1 of chapter 3, and verse 4 of chapter 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. What is Paul saying in these two verses? No matter what, we need to rejoice in Christ. It doesn't matter what's happening in your life. Rejoice in Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15 says, And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. We must want to live for Christ. Why? Because Christ died for us. And because Christ defeated death on the cross, defeated Satan on the cross, he rose again from the dead. So I choose to live for Christ, my great God, my Savior. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, we all know this. You could probably quote it with me. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We need to live by faith. And what is faith? Believing that God is able to do what he said he will do and ordering my life accordingly. Where do we find what God says to do? Right here. You got it, Caleb. In the Bible. We don't find it anywhere else. We find it in this book. That's the only place God is going to give you his will for your life. You look to the book. You live by the book. You let the book determine what you do and what you don't do. 
We live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Well, we need to keep moving. Not only do we need to have the proper mindset, but we need to, we need to be in, part of the proper mindset is understanding that we will have a promotion to glory. If my life ends today, where do I go? Where do I end up? I end up in glory in the presence of my great God. To die is gain. Paul's physical death would mean that he would be with Christ. His earthly sufferings would cease. Not only was Paul beaten and imprisoned and left for dead, Paul had this constant thorn in the flesh. He says it was given to him by God to keep him humble. This constant thorn in the flesh. Paul wanted to get rid of that in the worst way. And you know what? When he gets to glory, that thorn in the flesh is gone. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. No more sufferings. No more thorn in the flesh. No more difficulties with people. Remember he talks about those who departed from the faith? That, that left him, he thought he could count on them, and they, he, they left him in the lurch. I don't have to worry about that anymore. For me to die is gain. Oh, God, let me go home to be with you. His earthly sufferings come to an end. Peace and joy of being with Christ for all of eternity begins in a way that we will not know till that happens in our lives. You see, as believers, we derive our great joy and comfort from knowing that when we die, the moment we step off of this earth, we are in the presence of God. Of the Lord. Promotion to glory. How do we know that's true? Well, Luke chapter 23, verse 43, we see the repentant thief on the cross. He says, Jesus, remember me when you go to paradise. And what did Jesus say to the thief on the cross? Today you will be with me in paradise. No purgatory, no soul sleep. But today you will be with me in paradise. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Paul says, when my body ceases here on this earth, I will be present with the Lord. Philippians chapter 1, verse 23. I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Better. Paul was happy to go to be with his great Savior in Jesus Christ, who was in heaven. He could imagine how great it was going to be. So I guess he had a step on mercy me who says, I can only imagine. You see, Paul knew what was facing him. He knew what it was going to be like to see his Savior. He wrote about it, to walk on those streets of gold. He couldn't wait, but he also was happy to wait if that's what God wanted for him. I like the words of William Hendrickson as he explains why dying is better. He says, note the words, to depart and be with Christ. The apostle knows that when his soul departs from this earthly life, it is immediately with Christ. It does not go out of existence until the day of resurrection, nor does it go to sleep. It at once enjoys blessed fellowship with the Savior. That is very far better than to remain in the flesh. Don't you like that phrase? Very far better. Sounds the way like a, like a toddler might explain it. It's very, 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 very much better to be with Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. 
But Paul put personal desire aside. He put his own personal desires aside. He said, nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. It's okay, Paul said. I will remain in the flesh for the benefit of my beloved friends and fellow believers in Philippi. I will remain in the flesh if that's what God wants. Paul put his personal desires aside because he knew that it was beneficial, not only for the Philippians, okay? It was beneficial for you and I because God continued to use Paul and record things from Paul's life for us to live by. You see, Paul was privileged to live a little bit longer by God's grace and by God's plan. And you and I benefit from that. Paul's remaining meant two things for those he ministered to. What did it mean? Well, it meant that their spiritual journey would be better. It's important that we progress in our spiritual walk. If we don't progress, you know what we do? We regress. One author writes, standing still spiritually is not possible, and regression produces depression or dejection. Sometimes people will say to me, I just, I'm very depressed, Pastor. Will you pray for me? If we are moving forward in our walk with the Lord, and you know what my counsel is generally to those kind of people when they say that to me? I say, hey, you know what? You need, to, you need to find out what God wants to do in your life. You need to find out if there's something that you need to deal with between you and God. If there's something that you know you need to do that God wants you to do and you're not doing it, then you need to do it. Because you can't, that's why depression is real. When we get depressed many times it's because we're not doing what we know God wants us to do. And when we're doing what we know what God wants us to do, you know what that brings? Joy. Joy. So that's the next thing. For, for Paul to remain on for the Philippian believers, it meant joy in the faith. The two go hand in hand. The writer continues to say, but progress means happiness, the joy unspeakable and full of glory. Paul was confident that God would continue to use him and that he would continue to submit to the Lord's direction, which would lead to more fruit for all concerned, including you and I. Paul definitely derived his passion from serving the Lord and the Philippians records were pretty, are pretty clearly contained here for us. We would do well to follow his example, to be like Paul. And you know what Paul says? Be like me because I'm like Christ. Wow, what a challenge for us. Serving others the way Paul did is a good demonstration of our passion. If you're struggling with being passionate about Christ, let me encourage you this morning to find an outlet of service for him. Find some place to serve him. And let me encourage you that that service be through your local church right here, Calvary Baptist Church of Preble. Well, we started this morning talking about our passions and how some people are passionate about sports. Perhaps you don't like sports, you're passionate about gardening. I also mentioned that my petunias are only about this high right now. So um, maybe that's not something that I'm really passionate about. But you know what? You and I want to be passionate about our great Savior. I read an article this week about passionate preaching. I I try to be passionate when I preach. Why? Because I want it to be contagious. I want it to rub off on the followers that Christ has entrusted to my care. So as we are passionate about the things that God calls us to, let it be lived out in our lives. In fact, if, we're, if we are passionate, we can't help but let it be lived. I can't help when somebody asks me a question about the Yankees but to get excited about it. You know what else? 
When somebody asks me a question about the Word of God, I can't help but get excited about it. We need to be passionate about our relationship with God. As children of God, our passion is directly related to the closeness of our relationship with Christ. And the closer we are to Christ, the more we'll want to serve Him. Let me close this morning with the words of a song by Aaron and Jeffrey. It's called Leave a Legacy. The song goes like this. I want to live with pure intentions. Speak with words of grace. Boy, is that important or not? Speak with words of grace and judge through eyes of mercy. I long to choose with holy wisdom and walk down paths of peace, taking love to every soul in need. I want to leave a legacy of a servant who believed that the world could still be changed by just one life. I want to leave a legacy that years from now, they'll see that I live for only the cause of Christ. If I could clearly see tomorrow, my humble prayer would be that every heart would beat with true faith. If I could somehow shape the future, I would hope and pray I'd touch the lives by the way I live today. Oh, to make a difference by living day to day as a reflection of God. I want to leave a legacy of a servant who believed that the world could still be changed by just one life. I would want to leave a legacy that years from now they'll see that I lived only for the cause of Christ. When you and I are used to lead others to Christ or to encourage others in their walk with the Lord, it surely produces joy in our lives. So our title this morning, Passion for Service Produces Joy, or we could say, Passionate Service Results in Joy. And as I said, may that service that you are striving to carry out for the Lord today be service that is through the body of Christ where he has placed you, right here at Calvary Baptist Church. And can I say one other thing? When we get to um, the idea of passion and joy and all of that kind of stuff and encouraging others, your presence here is an encouragement to others. You say, how so? Well, that, that verse that we often use in Hebrews chapter 10, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but so much more as you see the day approaching. In other words, as things are getting worse and worse, and can I ask you, are they getting worse and worse in our world? Yes, they are. They're getting worse and worse. So much the more as you see the day approaching, what are we supposed to do? Come together to encourage one another. You don't only come here to church to worship God, but you come here to serve God and you come here to encourage others. So as you do that, keep those things in mind and realize that doing that brings great joy to our lives and to uh, the lives of others. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight and we thank you, or this morning, we thank you for your love and your, your blessings in our lives. Father, as we count those blessings, as the hymn writer reminds us, we name them one by one. It brings great joy to our hearts, great joy to our minds as we realize what a wonderful Savior, what a wonderful God we serve. The greatest joy, though, is the joy that is found in the fact that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sins and makes it possible for us to serve you with purpose and meaning. Father, help that service to be passionate. Help us to be on fire for you, to live for you with everything we've got. Father, we want to tell you this morning that we love you. We're grateful that you loved us first so we could love you in return. And we ask, Lord, that this week as we go out from this place, we will be passionate representatives of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.